Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two passages, and they both have the number 10 in them. Hebrews chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 10. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. We are in a series called Dominant Force. And in part one of Dominant Force, I answered the question, what is that? It's something that has primary influence, primary control, and primary authority in a given space. It's someone or it's, it's something that dominates. And then I talked about how that relates to your relationship with God. And now, in parts two through five, we're exploring the four reasons that Jesus gave to his men to keep him number one in their lives as the dominant force, as their driver. And what he did is he shared four future realities, like men, this is the reality of what's gonna happen. And because that's the reality of what's gonna happen, you can keep me number one in the now. And so in part two, we looked at how Christ-likeness, Jesus says, will prevail in the authentic Christian. What does that mean? That means that you become like him in your character and you will have the same experiences that he has, and we outlined what those experiences are. In part three, we looked at the second future reality, which is that God's truth would prevail. The truth that we believe now, in the end, that is vindicated, right? Every word that Jesus says, every promise that he makes, every truth that he claims, those will all be justified and validated in the end, which means that in the now, we can keep Christ number one in the dominant force in our lives. Today, in part four, we're looking at the third certain future reality that Jesus shares with his guys. And to get us thinking in the right direction, let's talk about fear. Specifically, a healthy fear. Think about it. Without a healthy fear of fire, you can get third degree burns just like yours truly did when he was a kid, all right? Without a healthy fear of lions, you're on the menu. You can become lunch without a healthy fear of electrified wires or sockets, right? You can get lit up like a Christmas tree, you get the picture. Now, let's talk about a healthy fear of God and the, and the consequences. Right? Just like there were consequences of not have, having a, a healthy fear of fire or a lion or electrical wires, there are consequences to not having a healthy fear of God. You know, I always think about the classic scene in Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's legendary classic work about the kingdom of Narnia and about how human beings are pulled in to this kingdom, one of those human beings is Lucy Pevensey, right? This little girl. And she's getting sort of a, an education on how Narnia works from Mr. Beaver. And she comes upon Aslan, who is the king of this kingdom, right? Aslan's the king of Narnia. And so she, she asks Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Right? 
And I love that, that metaphor and, and fantasy, but here's the reality, right? As Lewis is talking about the kingdom of God, who God is, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of kings, the creator and ruler of the entire universe and beyond. Is he safe? Of course he's not, but he's loving and he's good. So the translation to Lucy Pevensey, the translation of that supernatural truth to us is you have a healthy fear of a lion, you have a healthy fear of God, who is also the king, the Lord, the ruler of the universe, but you gotta know his character, right? So you can have those two in there. In fact, the Bible is emphatic about fearing the Lord. It's in the Bible over a hundred times. It's not an unhealthy fear, it's simply acknowledging the reality of his nature, his person, and his character, right? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, many of you said it, right? From Proverbs, it's the beginning of wisdom, right? But you know what Jesus says is an unwise fear? The fear of men. And he had to prepare his guys for when he would leave and be gone he had to sort of put this spiritual backbone inside of them to deal with the fear of men, which could potentially dilute him being the primary controller of their lives, the primary influence of their lives and the primary authority of their lives. So let's talk about where we're headed in part four of Dominant Force. We're just gonna revisit as we do in parts one through three, this theme, right, of because God prevails ultimately, right, we redirect our energy immediately, right, in the now. Then we're gonna look at that third future reality Jesus shares with his men in order to fortify his number one position in their lives until they meet him face to face. And then we're just gonna distill some thinking from God's word in light of what Jesus said. So let's, let's revisit that theme. Since God prevails ultimately, how should that impact us, right? In Matthew 16, verses 25 through 27, listen to what Jesus says. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So Jesus here is introducing the idea of spiritual risks in the now and the tension of that, what happens when you take them, and the ultimate outcome later. So spiritual risks in the now, what happens if you take them and then what's the outcome later? And so we observe four simple things. You observe this tension connected to the risk of hanging on versus letting go, right? Jesus says, if you hang on to your life, in other words, if you try to control your life, if you try to be 
the, the, the director of your own life, you're gonna lose it, right? You, you pursue your plans, your right? You're gonna lose it. But if you give up, right, your life, for my sake, you will, you will save it. So there's that tension when you take a spiritual risk for God in the present, right, of hanging on, I'm gonna control it versus surrendering it and letting it go in faith and doing what God wants. Second, there's the tension of giving up now versus taking up later, right? Gain the world, right? Lose your soul, right? If you wanna take up your soul, which is your true self, made in the image of God, and, and experience that to the fullest, you're gonna experience attention, right? You're gonna have to give up something to take up something else. Third, we see the tension of gaining now versus later, right? There's this whole thing of now and later, right? And the taking of spiritual risks. So I let go, right? I give up now to take up later. I give up gaining selfishly now to gain eternally later. And then third, there's the tension of deeds now versus judgment later, right? YOLO, you only live once. Okay, that's true. That's true in all contexts. But in terms of the decisions that we make, because we only live once, we can make those decisions and do deeds with our self-interest in mind, or we can live our lives in light of this future reality Right? And the future realities of reward and benefit and the gain of soul and the taking up of eternal life. Because all of us are headed to this point, Jesus says here, where the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge how many people? All people according to their deeds. So you see how you know, our thinking drives our living and our deeds, right? And so we have to have the right thinking. And again, the Bible is emphatic. Jesus is emphatic. It's like, man, use your time on earth to invest in your eternity. And there's going to be a tension because you can serve yourself or you can serve the Lord. You can serve his purposes or your purposes. You can pursue your plans or his plans, right? And then you're going to take some actions. And then those actions are going to come under a judgment later and God's not gonna judge him through the selfish filter. He's gonna judge him through the filter of the revelation that he has expressed to us in the present, okay? Now, for men and women of faith, we see how our future with God drives the present. We see this especially in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, let's read that passage on your downloaded notes. Each one of these people of faith, okay, there's the qualifier died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance. They waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world, people passing through. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted, but they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. 
You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Just that whole picture reminds me of, you know, a traveler. I travel a lot. Maybe some of you guys travel a lot. And uh, making a connection. So say you're going from Southern California, connection in Dallas, your final destination, and home is Atlanta. So you stop in Dallas, but you don't leave the airport and buy a house and start investing there and, you know, buy couches and TVs and all the other things. Why? Because it's a connection. It's not your final destination. Men, earth is a connection. It's not your final destination. Even though we own homes and we invest here and all that stuff. But it's like a camping trip, okay? It all goes back in the box. Every you guys are campers, right? It gets unloaded, it gets deployed, and then it all goes back, right? You were created, you were deployed, accessories were given for you to live this life, right? But your mind and your heart is at home, right? I cannot wait to get home when I'm traveling from overseas. I can't wait to get home when I'm traveling cross country. I can't wait to get home after a long trip, why? because that's where I reside, that's where I abide, that's where my family is. That kind of thinking, the Bible says, will keep God the dominant force in your lives. People of faith in Hebrews 11 encourage you to read that. They connected their future destination to their present and they didn't attach hard to where they didn't live and where they were not gonna spend there forever. So that's just a good basis about how future reality drives present energy. And what we see in Hebrews 11 and in Matthew 16 is this. Write this down. When God is the dominant force in your life, dominant faith is the result. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Spiritual risk-taking on earth, right? God prevails during the lives of these people mentioned in Hebrews 11. Not their feelings, not the culture they live in, not the opinions of men, but what God declares to be significant. All right, so when God is the dominant force, dominant faith, or spiritual risk-taking, parenthetically, is the result, okay? And we see how in Hebrews 11, God prevails. I wrote down the definition, it's gonna be there in, in the next session too. To prevail means to prove more powerful than opposing forces to be victorious, all right? Because God prevails in the future, God should prevail in the present. He should be the more powerful force in your life than other forces. Now that's called spiritual battle, but God should prevail, why? Because there are certain future realities that he says are gonna happen and we live in light of them. So now, there's another basis. Let's get to Jesus's third reason, okay, for his men to keep him number one during their time on earth and remaining the dominant force. And his third reason is this, God's eternal power and justice prevail. So Christ-likeness, he says, is gonna prevail. God's truth will prevail in the end. Everything that is hidden will be made known. You'll be justified. Third, God's eternal power and justice, that prevails too. So. Be brave now. Listen to Jesus. Talk to his men. 
Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10, 28. Okay? What's Jesus saying? All right. Write this down. Next fill in. God's eternal ability shapes my present energy. Have a healthy fear of the one with more eternal capacity. The capacity that lasts forever. The, the capacity that's meaningful. Versus fearing people with temporal capacity. See, man can kill the body. He can't touch the soul. The soul's forever. The body goes in the grave, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? So who are we gonna fear? The one with temporal capacity, temporal power, temporal wealth, or the one with eternal power and capacity, right? Now, add to this what it says, and to Jesus' word, what it says in Hebrews 10, 29 through 31. We'll unpack it and make an observation about God. It says this, If we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth we know now, we repudiate Christ's sacrifice and are left on our own to face the judgment. And a mighty fierce judgment it will be. If the penalty for breaking the law of Moses is physical death, what do you think will happen if you turn on God's Son spit on the sacrifice that made you whole, and insult this most gracious spirit. This is no light matter. God has warned us that he'll hold us to account and make us pay. He was quite explicit. Quote, vengeance is mine and I won't overlook a thing. And God will judge his people. Nobody's getting by with anything. Believe me. Wow. Just reminds me of that, that famous Charles Spurgeon line. There is no better cure for the fear of man than the fear of God, right? Man has no ability in eternity, right? And that fact should drive our present energy, right? And there's Jesus saying it. There in Matthew 10, 28, here's God's word saying it in Hebrews 10, 29 to 31. Well, what's Jesus saying? Man, you go with whoever's holding the bigger punch. And when it comes to your eternity, God holds the bigger punch. Now, add to this next point on your notes, man's earthly priorities perish before heavenly entry. God's priorities, they extend right now and into eternity. Man's plans may be operating now, but they don't. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to earth and all their plans die with them. So what do we see? Well, we see God's person and plans are to be praised and man's person and plans are to be questioned. Why? 
because they die with them. So whose plans are you gonna go with? The one whose plans last forever or the one whose plans don't? Where are you gonna shove all your chips to the table? So because that is true, even the most brilliant of man's plans, I mean, just think about the greatest inventions, the greatest technologies, the greatest, you know, people, the great, and all their plans, all right? When they die, their plans die with them. The only plan that survives and goes on is God's plan. And you can connect with God's plan now and stay connected and ride God's plan right into eternity. Amen? That is what God's man does. God's man rides God's plan right into eternity. And because God's plan extends past this life and goes into eternity, that's where we put our confidence in the person behind the plans that last forever. Okay, so God's plan goes forever. That drives our present energy. Man's plans perish, all right, before heavenly entry. Add to this your next point, write this down. God's eternal glory drives my earthly story. So not just, it's not just about, okay, who wins in the end and who holds the bigger punch and whose plans last forever. It's about our decision, right, to emphasize not just God's eternal priorities, but God's eternal glory right now. And that drives my story right now. We can start living for God's glory which it also extends, his plans extend, but his glory extends, right, into eternity. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18 from God's word. It's, Paul is coaching uh, believers, and he says, for, for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, there's that tension, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what is the encouragement that Paul is giving to all followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying, start glorifying God now. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you're going to encounter some opposition. Yeah, you might have to discipline yourself. Yeah, you might have to give up. You might have to lose some things, but you're going to take up. So start glorifying God now because it goes with us uh, forever. It's a picture of accrual. So God's plans go with us forever. We start glorifying God right now. We take that eternal weight of glory. Whew, right into us doing it um, forever, right? Now, what's, what's interesting is that you have earth versus heaven. On earth, there's opposition, right? There's the world, the flesh, and the devil that's in opposition to you glorifying God right now um, with your choices, where you live, where you work, where you pray, where you play. In your context, there's opposition, which makes your decision meaningful, all right? That's the context. The context makes it meaningful. So when I make a choice against pressure and opposition to glorify God while I'm alive on earth, today, tomorrow, the rest of the week, month, 
year, whole life, when I make a decision to glorify God, that has meaning. Why? Because in heaven, there is no opposition, right? That's the occupation of heaven. There is no opposition in heaven. Here, there's opposition. So the context of earth makes your decision for God, for his plans, for his purposes, for him remaining the dominant force in your life under pressure gives those choices and those decisions that you make for Christ in all dimensions of your life, in the big and small spaces, meaning, right? God's looking down, it's like, man, he's choosing me under pressure. He's pressured to choose himself. He's pressured to choose what people think. He's pressured to go with what culture's doing. A lot of pressure. Look, he's standing in the fire. He's standing in battle. He's making a decision for me. Some of you needed to hear that right now. All right, without the pressure, there's no meaning. Without earth as the theater for your faith decisions, there's no meaning. In heaven, it's just the occupation, okay? It has that meaning, we're just acknowledging reality, but there's not any pressure, right? Coming against us doing that. On earth, there is, and that's what God is watching. That's what God delights in. Guys, that's why we're doing this series. And some of you needed to hear that, right? That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, they'll be added to you. That's why Jesus says in John 17, four, I have glorified you here on earth, right? Where he would be tempted, where he would be opposed, where there would be political forces and social forces, right? And cultural forces coming against him. And yet each time he would choose God, he would have spiritual integrity in the moment. He would be fearless. He would break the rules to touch the ethnically unacceptable, the, the racially unacceptable, the physically unacceptable, the morally unacceptable, to show compassion, to be the friend of drunk, uh, drunkards and gluttons and sinners, right? Breaking the rules to love and to glorify God, right? Some of you are at a crossroads. I know it. Some of you are encountering major spiritual battle right now to glorify God. And in Jesus' name, I just bless you with the shield of faith, our, the community of men right now in this this global live stream, we're just gonna raise a shield of faith around you. We're gonna come around you and we're gonna raise a shield of faith. And we declare right now in Jesus' name for our brothers who are struggling and battling and they know they need to glorify God, we just raise a shield of faith that will extinguish the flaming missiles of the enemy in Jesus' name, amen. You see, that's what a community of men do. We battle for each other. You're in a battle, I'm in a battle. You need my prayers. I need your prayer. So we just covered, for you guys out there who are really under attack, we just covered you, walk in power, choose to glorify God, All right? Choose to glorify God. That's your story. That's Jesus' story. I glorified you on earth. This is Jesus. Jesus is in you. This is you, all right? Now, add to this your next fill-in. Man's earthly glory repeats Satan's heavenly tragedy, all right? Now here, I just want you to see the parallels of, of what's going on. So if you chase glory here on earth, you're gonna repeat 
Satan's heavenly tragedy. That's described in Isaiah chapter 14. Listen to the heavenly tragedy. For you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Whoa. You see, when we seek earthly glory, right, versus eternal glory, we repeat Satan's tragedy. Privilege, position, visibility, credit, achievement, and the taking of the glory of God because, in the end, any glory that comes to you, he's the source of. So we recycle that and we give it to God. That was Satan's job. His job, before he fell, right, he was in charge of worship and directing the glory to God, but then, and this, this happens to us, he's like, I want a little bit of that for me. And he embezzled God's glory. He wasn't the source of glory. Can I just say something? Some of you need to be reminded of that, right? Just like I do. That even though you are high achievers, high performers, or maybe you get a lot of credit at work, in your family, or just in your social life at large, Anything good that you do, you're not the source of that. You're the agent of that, but you're not the source. Why? Because God gave you your mind. God gave you your body. God gave you your ability to think, reason, plan things, be entrepreneurial, work hard, be resourceful. God's behind every good thing in your life. God's behind every success in your life. Glory to God. Give it up. Give the glory where it's due. Satan's problem? He thought he was the source. Wow. So doesn't that give you a little insight that, you know, his tragedy is also his strategy? Get men to want to ascend like he did. Get men to want to be like the Most High. Get men to think they're the author of their own successes. Get men to be their own master and commander. That's a strategy. And when you think of pride and embezzling God's glory and his tragedy, just think, well, that's, that's what he continues to do. His failure, he wants that, his failure to be our failure, for he wants us to make the same mistake, right? Now, here's the just side note, here's the interesting thing. We're going to take his place in heaven. We're the ones who are going to be worshiping God. And we're going to give the credit where credit is due. But don't repeat that tragedy here on earth. Right? That, that was a heavenly tragedy. It's in the Bible. Study it. We look at it and we go, not making the same mistake as Satan. Now, to all of what we've just talked about, add to this, right, your next fill-in. God's eternal kingdom and rain will last forever, okay? Now, this is just like the icing on the cake. This is the, the rivets that are gonna seal up this truth in your spirit. 
Listen to Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, blessing and honor and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Wow. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. So what's so cool about what we're learning in Scripture today is that God's plans are forever and ever. God's glory is forever and ever. God's kingdom is forever and ever. And we get to participate in all those right now. And the level to which we participate in God prevailing forever, God's plans that last forever, God's glory, which can drive our earthly story, right? And God's kingdom, which goes on forever and ever, how we choose to live in that and for that right now determines our eternity, right? And so we discipline ourselves on earth to live for God's plans, to, to live for God's glory, to advance his kingdom. That's why Jesus came. He announced the kingdom's here. And to advance his kingdom, right? Because God's eternal kingdom and reign last forever. Now let's button it up, all right? Because in contrast, man's earthly privilege, write this down, man's earthly privilege and positions come to an end. So just like man's plans come to an end, their position, our position and our privilege, any position or privilege that we do gain here on earth, that stops and his begins. So let's look at scripture and let's, let's look at the pecking order here and let's look at an earthly king who has privilege and position who, because God loves him, right, made him have a dream, and then the man of God, Daniel, interpreted it for him. Still didn't get it, but by God's grace, God put him in a position where he was gonna get it, and he did. Let's look at his reflection of an earthly king, the most powerful man on earth at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at his reflection on his earthly privilege and position, but then enter his relationship with God and how that reset his mind. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? And when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor 
and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored as head of my kingdom, little K, even with greater honor than I had before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. You see, in the kingdoms of men, it's called the pecking order, right? And uh, in every culture, it's in every culture. It, it may look a little different, but there's position and privilege in every culture, whether it's by blood, by war, by power, by wealth, by assassination, by election, okay? There's, there's position, and then there's privileges that attend to that position. But here we just listened to the most powerful man on the planet, right? Realizing his limit. And after a reset from God, um, he's ready. That guy right there, he gets it. He realizes, hey, I'm, I, I may be head of an earthly kingdom, little K, but I'm not the king, capital K, of the kingdom, capital K. And neither am I, neither are you, however big or small your kingdom is. It could be the kingdom of your family. It could be the kingdom of your neighborhood. It could be the kingdom of your business. It could be the kingdom, whatever. Whatever it is that you've been given by God to be a steward of, right? Um, you're not the king. He's the king. And we can start we can start remembering that and, and acting in, in light of that. Now, so just by way of review, as we close up, and let's make a final point after we review. So, God's eternal ability, right? Jesus says it in Matthew 10, don't fear man. Fear the one who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell, right? God has all eternal ability that should drive your present energy, right? There's the perishing of man's earthly priorities before heavenly entry, right? Plans die with man, God's plans go forward. There's God's eternal glory driving your earthly story. Glorify God. Remember what Jesus said? I have given you glory on earth. If Jesus lives in you, you will give God glory on earth. Where you live, where you work, where you pray, where you play, in the big spaces, in the small spaces. The goal is to make decisions that glorify God, show love for God and people. And there's man's, just by, it's a cautionary tale, man's earthly glory repeating Satan's tragedy. Man, we don't want to put ourselves in the camp with that loser, right? Not with him, no. And don't listen to the lie that you, you deserve the glory. Don't hunt glory. Don't chase glory. You're not the source. But that's what he wants you to think and feel. You're the source. You're a self-made person. You're not a God-made man. The glory belongs to you. You did this yourself. Look at how hard you work. No, we're grateful that God has given us the mind and the body and the natural skill sets to do anything good, right? He deserves the glory, right? And then you got 
God's kingdom lasting forever and man's privilege and position coming to an end. So add it all up. What's God saying to us, right? As a community of his men on earth right now, all right? God says to all sons of heaven, write this down. You are free to bet it all on me. Let's say that together. You are free to bet it all on me. We're pushing every last chip of influence, resources, time, talent, treasure. We're pushing it all in and we're betting it all on the Lord. Why? Because he prevails in the end. His eternal ability prevails. His eternal glory prevails. His eternal kingdom prevails. And we can start right right now driving his eternal plan right now choose it we can glorify him right now we can advance his kingdom right now right and just seamlessly just go man that's what we're going to continue to do but only here does it have meaning earth is preparation for eternity right your choices for god while important when you get to heaven all right they lack the meaning of doing it here on earth where you had to exercise faith and take spiritual risks to do it. And that, my brothers, is what God is watching, right? The vineyard of the Lord Almighty, Isaiah says, is the nation of Israel, that's everybody, but the men of Judah are the garden of his delight, right? He looked for justice but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness but heard cries of distress. God was tracking then, his, his men, God is tracking us now. As men who hold a mantle of influence, it's a stewardship, right? And we're not gonna let Jesus's influence in our lives be diluted in any way. How did Jesus get his guys on the same page with him, right? He told them what the future holds, so that would inform their actions in the present. So you are free to bet it all on me. That's what God is saying. Don't let anyone or anything dilute your focus on God. Don't let anyone or anything dilute your energy for God. Don't let anyone or anything take your reward, your eternal reward for moving his plans forward in you and through you, moving his glory forward in you and through you, moving his kingdom forward in you and through you. I mean, this is what Jesus says. Sermon on the Mount, Luke 6, he says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. What's Jesus saying? He said, when you make decisions now for me, because I'm the dominant force in your life, those decisions on earth get rewarded later, right? This is the game. This is your theater of battle. This is your playing field. And guess what, fellas? We're all starters. We're all scorers. We take territory right now. And that's why Jesus says, you know what? When you're making a hard decision under pressure for me, man, you're blessed. If people hate you because of me, you're blessed. If people exclude you because 
my name is connected with your identity, all right, you are blessed. If they insult you, if they reject you, because your identity is in me and you're living out your truest identity, you are blessed. Guys, God is encouraging us. Sons of heaven, come on. Let's rise. Let's continue to live for God's glory. Let's continue to choose his plan. Let's continue right now to advance his kingdom. And if you know a guy in your life who knows Jesus and wants to be a part of a movement like this, man, you gotta share dominant force with him. Let's go to prayer and let's ask God to accomplish these things in our life. God, we know that on our own power, none of this is gonna happen. We're not gonna extend your plan on our own power. We're not gonna glorify you on our own power. We're not gonna shine the light of Christ. We're not gonna be salt. We're not gonna be a fragrance, an aroma of Jesus among those who are perishing. We're not going to advance your eternal kingdom on our own power. A light bulb is only good if it's plugged into the socket. So right now, we're plugging into you. We're coming to the source. We're coming to you, Jesus. You're the vine, and we're the branch. Jesus, you're the shepherd, we're the sheep. Jesus, you're the potter, we're the clay today. Keep us teachable, keep us humble, keep us flexible in your hands, right? To choose heaven at every turn. And Father, I pray for my brothers uh, especially those today who are in an environment where making decisions for you is difficult. Just remind them, they're blessed. They're blessed when under pressure they choose you. I pray for all my brothers who are struggling, Lord, inside their heart with lust and porn and they're unknown, it's an unknown thing, I pray that they would go to a trusted friend, pastor today, make the hard decision so that they can start experiencing your blessing because they're gonna choose to glorify you. You died for sin, they died to that sin. Lord, we thank you that because we know, because your word is behind it, that we have some certainties that we can push all our chips to the table on, just help us to bet it all. Lord, help us to keep taking risks for you. Risk personal change, risk doing your will, risk trusting your promises when we can't see a solution in the moment. Help us to walk in faith. You say in your word, you're righteous ones, they live by faith, and if they shrink back, you're not gonna be pleased with them. But we, the ones who name your name, sons of heaven, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. So Lord, we believe and we expect you to move powerfully in our lives and fill us with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray and God's men said, amen. Well guys, I have a little announcement. Um, overflow, setting the Holy Spirit loose in the world you live in, kind of on this theme of being salt and light and the fragrance of Christ in this time. Man, turn on the news, revival's happening, you're a part of it. I want you to encourage you to go to Amazon, pre-order it, right? Comes out March 21st and then just go to wherever your favorite bookstore is, retail outlet, or you can come to everymanministries.com and order it. Guys, the movement is here and you're an important puzzle piece. 
So we'll see you next week.